hi, I am with Bilkisi Jazz, um, who is the president of the My Dance Alliance and her residence here uh, at Bukit Bintang. Hello. Hello. How are you? Very well. So we're going to get to know you a little better. But before that, would you like to um, introduce yourself to us a little bit more? Sure, no problem. Uh, so yes, my name is Bilkis and I live here in Bukit Bintang with my two cats. <laughs> and out of my home, I run a number of different projects that have to do with contemporary dance, mostly in Malaysia, somewhat in Southeast Asia. Uh, so I run My Dance Alliance, which is a support organization for Malaysian dance. And we do like performance platforms and information sharing and capacity building projects. And then I also run a residency program at Rimbundahan, which is the private art center owned by my family. And we have choreographers come to stay, and we also host projects like the Southeast Asian Choreo Lab, so big group projects for dance. And I work as a critic, and I run a critics platform called Critics Republic for performing arts in Malaysia, which uh, has a very small grant, which is coming to the end. And other than that, I also lecture in dance criticism at UM in the dance department. Oh, that's a, oh, that's a few hats that you're, you're wearing. It's a few hats. <laughs> and, uh, okay, so you were talking about Rimbundahan, um, which is a residency for Southeast Asian... Um... Artists of all types, actually. Okay. So we do have open residencies for Southeast Asian artists, either ones where we provide a little bit of support, like uh, cash support, or ones where basically we just provide the accommodation and the studio space for free. Um, but we mostly get visual artists, sometimes also writers, because writers no need anything, you just give them a room, which hopefully <laughs> has a nice view, yes. and then electricity, and then they just go by themselves. Um, art managers, uh, scholars, researchers, um, not so many musicians, a few theatre people, and then dance people, choreographers, dancers, yeah. Okay, and how's the reception for these residencies? For visual arts, it's very strong, but I think also because visual arts is set up as an industry that is very familiar with the residency model as something that's part of everybody's professional practice. You understand how residency works, what you're supposed to achieve within a residency. But for dance, it's always a little bit difficult. Like, what do you ask the choreographer usually to do? If they are focusing on individual practice and making solo work, then it kind of makes more sense. Okay, you have this space, you have a studio, um, you can use the studio whenever you like, you're working on developing your own, um, your own new works. But if they want to work on other bodies, then how? Mm. They bring your bodies with them <laughs> or you provide bodies here and then how to like match them up with the right kind of people with the right expertise and interest and then do they bring funding or do you provide funding or so it does become a little complicated so we sort of do it on a case-by-case -case basis for the choreographers depending on where they're from what they're interested in doing how much funding they're bringing who they want to work with um, whether they want to have a local showing or not do workshops or not so we just sort of negotiate yeah mm. And um, for the uh, participants uh, from the Southeast Asian countries, do you see a lot more coming from uh, the mainland Southeast Asia or, um, yeah, archipelago? Well, for, for, we don't have a huge number of applicants for the residency for choreographers. Uh, we do get a lot of applicants for the Southeast Asian Choreo Lab, um, which I will run 
once a year, so it lasts nine days, and I send out an open call for applications. So this year we got like 61 applications, which was really good and more than we've had before, which tend to be largely from Indonesia and Singapore. Okay. Yes. Singaporeans seem to be very motivated, but I think it's also because Singaporeans know how to apply for things mm. because this is also generally part of like dance industry community practice in Singapore that you spend a lot of your life applying for things and getting better at applying for things. Whereas in other countries where there is no such grant situation, many choreographers have never had to apply for anything in a kind of written format like this. So it's, un it's normal that we should get fewer applications from them. And also, I think um, language barriers are something of an issue, especially with sort of Indochina, um, because they often don't speak so much English. So it's difficult to access them. And I don't speak any of their languages. Mm. Uh, and, you know, with Indonesia, it's fine because you, you speak BM mm. and they speak BI and <laughs> they kind of get along. Mm. Um, but, yeah, with getting access to especially countries like Myanmar, where, as far as I know still, there's very little contemporary practice in dance. There are performance artists coming from a visual arts background who have a performance practice, which often revolves around some kind of physical, theatrical practice. And in some ways, in like a wider definition of dance, you might consider them to be contemporary dancers, but they don't necessarily think of themselves as contemporary dancers. But other than that, in Myanmar, there isn't really, doesn't seem to me to be anything. If you know of someone, please tell me. <laughs> well, I think this is really true. Um, looking at the grand situation in Singapore as well, uh, I think we've been trained somehow to know what to write and how to write it. Um, and also we have guidelines on mm. how to write grants. Mm. And definitely that is a main factor on how on how much we get as well. Mm. Um, no, this is interesting. Um, also, you know, you're saying that uh, we have very little, um, not many, um, I'm coming from other, other countries as well, and it could be an issue of language. Mm. Um, I was just wondering, also since you're based, you're Malaysian, mm. and you've been based here for a while, um, maybe could you just share with us, you know, what is your take on the, um, the dance scene here in Malaysia? Uh, that it's generally very more community feeling than in many other countries. And this may also have something to do with grants in that because we don't really have any grants here, we are not really competing against ourselves, each other. And so there isn't a sense of like cutthroat competitiveness because there's nothing to compete for. So we realize that in order to get anything done, we have to work with each other and kind of support each other and share resources. And so that's how we do things. And so the feeling of the community, I feel, okay, la, there are many, there's much bitching about each other, but where is there not bitching about each other? <laughs> um, but in general, people are quite supportive of each other's professional practices, which I think is nice. The other thing I would say about the Malaysian contemporary dance scene is that it's incredibly diverse and probably it's quite similar to the way that it is in Singapore and that, you know, you can name some type of like contemporary dance practice or choreographic practice and there'll be someone there who is doing some version of it. So we have a small Bhutto community. Uh, we have obviously contemporized forms of all of the major ethnic dance forms, um, probably most developed with 
um, classical Indian dance, mostly Bharatanatyam, also Odyssey and contemporary versions of those. Um, then we have like different types of Western style contemporary technical practice, choreographic practice. Uh, yeah, lah, semuapun ada. Right, and um, and also you know you you're wearing the hat of 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 the president of My Dance Alliance. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, what does that entail? What What does the role entail? What What must you do? Uh, <laughs> yes. Well, it's technically a volunteer position. It's a non-profit organization, and we don't have a funding source. Mm. So everything that we do, most of the things that we do, are volunteer projects. We have a ten-person committee that's elected. We have members. They pay a very small membership fee, um, and they get to elect the committee. And uh, so basically, in that role as president, I spearhead various projects on my own, and then I encourage the committee members to each have their particular capacity building or information sharing project, which they are running with some kind of help from the rest of the committee members. Yes. Okay. And the members are are all dance choreographers. Um. Uh, or are they also dance activists, or are they, um, you know, just uh, people who are interested in dance? <laughs> the members are mostly dance practitioners. Yeah, we also do take people who are just generally interested in dance, um, but it tends to be mostly practitioners. Yeah. Well, and mostly contemporary, I would say. Technically, the organization is for all types of dance all over Malaysia. Mm. In practice, it's like. Contemporary dance and sort of dance scholars uh, in the Klang Valley. Okay. Yes. <laughs> no, because I'm, 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 I was, I appreciate um, the emails that I get from my dance alliance. Oh, well, do you get our newsletter? Yes. <laughs> oh, good. You're one of the two hundred people who might occasionally read our newsletter. Oh and my god. I appreciate reason. that because I, I, I'm well, I'm well informed of the of the dance events that are happening in um, in Malaysia, um, and also you know I think you guys have a um, you know, uh, a, a section about dances abroad or something. Yeah, Malaysian dances abroad, yeah. yeah, with occasional updates of what people are doing. Yeah, I think just for purely documentation reason, region, reasons, it's a very good and useful resource to keep doing. Um, usually we outsource it to interns. Mm, okay. When we can. All right. Now, um, we've been talking quite positively of what's happening around in, in Malaysia uh, and Southeast Asia. But okay, your role is also one that um, that that deals with dance criticism, and uh, that you you critique about dance. Um, so you want to share a little bit more about about that? Oh dear, yes, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of an uphill struggle, as I'm sure you can appreciate. Um, we don't have any professional arts critics in Malaysia at all. Uh, we used to have a few major newspapers that would provide occasional column space for arts writers to contribute things, but they were rarely sort of what you might consider to be criticism, more like just casual reviews and mostly previews. Um, And so I set up this website, Critics Republic, to try and encourage more people to write criticism and also for people to feel like they could respond because, you know, online you can have a more responsive situation. Um, but actually, I have to say that hasn't hasn't really occurred. 
Malaysia, like Singapore, like probably quite a lot of Southeast Asia, there's a lot of consideration of saving face. Mm, and saving face. it's hard to say negative things in public about somebody else or their work, even if it's not like, you know, an ad hominem attack. <laughs> and think that you can get away with that without some kind of personal repercussions. So, especially in a community where most of the people who are interested in writing about dance are also practicing members of the community in whatever way, it's impossible to retain a kind of critical distance from the subject, and especially a social distance. Mm. So, I have to say that after a great deal of trial and a lot of error, I don't write negative reviews anymore for example because the backlash from that is not worth the psychic cost mm. and I also feel that in many ways it's not because I feel like the purpose of writing criticism is not to like instruct the artist and tell them what they did wrong and make them do better like I really can't be bothered with mm. that for me, the purpose of criticism is to allow the reading audience to have a perspective into the work that they wouldn't otherwise have, which encourages them to create their own ways of looking at future works. Hmm. Um, so it's not about making the art better and me being some kind of like quality control agent. Like This is just my personal perspective. It has nothing to do with what I think the artist should do. Like Who am I to say what the artist should do? Um, so in that way, I find that writing negative criticisms, often the sort of hoo-ha over, oh, like she didn't like this, overshadows the content, the entire content of the rest of the review in a way that I find is not very useful. And I feel like there are so many good shows that I can recommend wholeheartedly and unreservedly that I would prefer to write about and that deserve to be written about. And, you know, it takes a lot of effort to write a review it takes me usually like a whole day and a half so I can't write about everything and I don't I only write very sporadically and so I find that I choose the ones that I feel are really really worth it and in that way I don't have to necessarily step on anybody's toes I hope uh, it's not a perfect system but it's the only system that for me is going to work at the moment so, and what would you say for someone um, here or in Southeast Asia who's interested in dance criticism? And what are the tips that you would give for them to start something? Uh, just to practice and to read a lot. And then again, also, as we don't have many dance critics, especially in Southeast Asia, to read more widely. Um, the Guardian, the New Yorker, you know... Dear God, German dance criticism. <laughs> it's a certain style. Some mm. people like it. Uh, but I think you can't get better without practice. It helps to have someone who you respect, read your work and respond to it in a way that uh, you feel that you can accept. And also I think just, especially in Malaysia, I mean, I don't know how it is in Singapore, you might not be able to look at a career of doing this. Mm. This is not potentially in this day and age with the way that arts media is evolving in that we have lost so much space in traditional media um, and online media doesn't pay. 
it would be very difficult to consider a career of being a critic in the way that, you know, in the last century it might have been possible. Okay. Well, thank you for that. I think it must have been... <laughs> we might, must have gone through a lot, um, you know, just to spearhead um, the practice of and, and discussions of dance criticism here in Malaysia. Um, I mean, I could say the same for, for in Singapore as well. Um, we are slowly adapting to this, um, to, to, to accepting dance criticism as well. Definitely not an easy phase, and I still feel I still I personally feel that it's quite Southeast Asian for us to be very polite, mm. um, and for us to be very sensitive. Yes. <laughs> so I think it, it's it's a long way to go, but definitely we need to start somewhere. Mm. And I think what you're doing, responding to and negotiating um, what's going on in the scene, um, is um, admirable. I would like to ask now about. Um, you know, since you, you've been working a lot and, and having discussions with other Southeast Asian um, dance practitioners, um, is, are there a few people that you would like us, um, you know, in this podcast to take note of um, in, in, in time to come? Um, choreographers that you feel that we should, um, you know, uh, acknowledge or, or, or at mm, least... Um, follow. Yeah. Yeah, well, most of the choreographers that I'm working with from Southeast Asia are still quite emerging so within the sort of first five years of their professional practice at least uh, so it's very difficult to tell I mean they're very much the kind of people who maybe tomorrow they will decide that they want a completely different career and they're dropping out of dance entirely and I'm never going to see them again and then you think oh okay um, but I guess of the ones that I have met at the moment I would say that there's quite an interesting um, group of people coming out of Laos, uh, specifically from the Fang Lao Dance Company. It seems to be the only sort of contemporary practice dance company in Laos. They have links with, because Laos has, of course, colonial links with France, they have links with Lao, Laotian uh, choreographers who are living in France who serve back resources to them um, so people like uh, Nut Nafa Sundala who is part of the company and uh, me Soidala and uh, Kaka um, mostly working in a hip hop base which has been filtered to them through a French hip hop base but then the French have this culture of having contemporary full-length theatrical hip-hop work in a way that I feel nobody else in the world really has as developed in a way as the French do, even the Americans, where arguably hip-hop came from. Um, they don't really have this kind of hip-hop as contemporary theatre practice. Uh, so they have that legacy of hip-hop and then classical Laotian dance and then their particular kind of contemporization of that and I think they're they're an interesting group of people to watch um, and they have their own festival every November December which is the Fang, uh, Fang Mekong dance festival which they run with very little funding like basically nothing and then most of the shows are free some more and in this like tiny black box that they've created out of nothing and if you ever wish to go to Vientiane, I would highly recommend it. It's an interesting experience, and they're very hospitable. And it's interesting to see how just with so few people who are really 
excited about exploring these different forms and combining it with their own specific perspectives, um, the kind of community that they can make. It's really kind of impressive. So the Laotians, mm, <laughs> yes, I think they're one to watch. Uh, other than that, well, in Malaysia, I think we are... I hate to say this, but I feel like we are sort of reaching the end of a kind of golden age of development in the dance community when there was a conjunction of various extremely positive forces coming together and really creating a lot of change and a lot of excitement. Um, and to me, a lot of that had to do with uh, Joseph Gonzalez being the head of dance at Aswara and the caliber of dancers that he was producing in that environment and the kind of works they were making, um, which since he has moved on to Hong Kong Academy of Performing Arts, I think has seemed to become a little quieter, which is not surprising. Uh, and I think just at, in, at that time, kind of in the 10 years between 2006 and 2016, there was just a lot of people making a lot of work. So I'm not sure now about Malaysia. I still am very interested in the work of Li Renzin, and she's a young Malaysian choreographer. Um, but her work is very particular, very kind of sensitive, and some people really like it. I do. It is a little bit inaccessible for a non-contemporary dance audience. And she isn't interested in any way in sort of technical virtuosity or the creation of spectacles. It's really about very quiet values. And I think these things, although she's been reasonably well received overseas and she's had a residency in Festival Tokyo and all of this kind of thing, um, I think it's more difficult for that kind of approach to gather support so and it's it's also difficult to see exactly where she's going to go in terms of developing this work which is often based very much around her body and the, the intricacies of her own like physical practice and and the way she relates to her environment in a very kind of sensitive way um you know how long do you just continue working with yourself as well and at what point do you need to develop and move away from that i think she'll be an interesting person to watch but yeah, she would be my pick for Malaysia. Mm. 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 Okay, so so it's good that you you provided some uh, some um, uh, you know who to look out for, especially from someone from Indochina, uh, and a group from Indochina, mm. from especially from Laos. From Laos. We, yeah. we, we don't really we don't hear. we don't hear about them, but they are like really busy doing things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good, and I think you know I think that's also that lack of representation from. From that part of Southeast Asia, mm. and I think it's also due to language as well. Yeah, and, also and to... the lack, total lack of resources. Definitely. Yeah, and also I think the kind of existing transportation links that we have. I mean, this is why I really feel like it's very important to do projects with groups of Southeast Asians meeting each other, because at the moment most of the kind of economic pathways for working with other artists come from first world nations that have money to share with Southeast Asia so Japan and Germany above all and then also the UK and Australia to a certain extent and maybe like Hong Kong and Taiwan 
And so we work a lot with those people, and we know what's happening in Berlin, and we know what's happening in Tokyo, but we don't know what's happening in Bangkok and Surabaya. And they, they're 45 minutes away, you know, and there's really no reason for that except the fact that we don't have the resources to work with each other and we don't have the sort of political support for that kind of thing to happen. And so, for example, flying to Laos from KL, which, you know, KL is the hub of AirAsia, uh, AirAsia only flies every three days to Vientiane. So if you want to go, you have to go and, like, stay there for, like, four days and then come back. You know, you can't just go and, like, come back overnight and have a quick trip. So these kinds of things, I think, really have an impact on the way that our arts communities develop. And, uh, you know, I'm, as, a, as a scholar, um, I find it very difficult to talk about identity. But um, since we're in this topic, I just wanted to know whether, you know, is there a Southeast Asian identity when it comes to dance <laughs> I, yes I think it's a very difficult <laughs> subject and a very hard to make generalizations I mean what is Southeast Asia right? as a region except for a kind of conglomeration of places small countries quote unquote that have been colonized at various points <laughs> and, and haven't managed to establish their own colonial empires you know, squeezed between India and China and yeah otherwise does Southeast Asia really exist as mm. any kind of entity that has any degree of internal cohesion I don't think it really does um, so yeah I often wonder to myself like why am I so interested in networking Southeast Asians like what what do I believe Southeast Asia really has but in a way perhaps it is that sort of sense of alterity it is that we are always the periphery to other people's empires. And because we are always the periphery, we need to somehow like, uh, unite in, in sharing our artistic perspectives and making them not so other, really. So that would be... I love that answer. Um, I, I personally feel that, yes, you know, it's very difficult to, 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 to find that Southeast Asian identity. Um, but I think there is some degree of Southeast Asian-ness that brings us together somehow, somewhat. But I can't really pinpoint to a particular attribute or trait. Mm. But it's this... There is something when Southeast Asians come together mm. and work together uh, that makes me very excited mm. and I look forward to that as yeah. well. And actually when I see how the Lab works, we always have like 12 to 15 people. And they come to Rimundahan, they stay for nine days. A lot of them have to like share big beds with each other. And we're all just like crammed in. And, and, and how comfortable they become with each other really quickly in this sort of like really warm physical way. And how quickly, you know, towards the end they've like made bosom buddies and they're so sad and they cry and they have to leave each other. And Immediately, even when you put other people from other places, like this year we had a woman from Sri Lanka, we've had before a woman from New Zealand, they don't manage to create the same sense of connection with the other Southeast Asians. So whether it's just like a propensity to be willing to share beds and eat each other's food and cook for each other, and, and I don't know, but there does seem to be some kind of level of camaraderie that is not recreatable with other people people's okay very excited now <laughs> even more excited for what's to come um, in southeast asia uh but before we you know 
end this um, exciting uh, podcast, I'd just like to ask you and your take on dance academia um, and dance practice and, you know, whether, you know, what you think about it. Well, I mean, dance academia exists in so many different forms, right? And I think Im- immediately it's so easy to see the impact of having a really strong and forward-thinking conservatory-like form. So here we have Aswara, where Joseph Gonzalez was, uh, was running it, and, and the effect of the quality of the dancers who are being produced, dancers who know all of these different types of dance, in various degrees of intimacy, and that, I feel, couldn't have been done without a tertiary institution, however much you think that's related to academia, it may or may not be. I certainly believe that there needs to be a lot more formal documentation of dance in the region, but I'm very sceptical, and even as a critic who writes about dance, about this sort of transmission of the physical into this written form where and especially by people whose first language really is not writing whose first language might be movement and that just becomes a kind of degree of translation that I feel there will always be something lost in that conversation so I feel a little uncomfortable about it um And certainly here in Malaysia, just because for many Malaysians, the quality of our education is really very bad uh, in government schools. I think everyone would agree with me on that one. And the quality of writing is extremely bad, extremely poor. So getting people who can write well, clearly and intelligently, and then those people who can write well, clearly and intelligently about dance (laughs) is so difficult. I agree. Mm. Mm, okay, so probably um, before we end, um, could we just, uh, if you could put yourself, you know, if you could say something about what is your advocacy today and what would, and, and in the future, as in what are you working towards? For Malaysia, particularly, I think it's the desire to see, as always, that the government has some kind of recognition of the status of contemporary art and the importance of it in our community, which the government has really only recognized contemporary art as social dissidents who need to be locked up. And now we have a new government and it's Malaysia Baru and, you know, like rainbows and twinkling stars and all that, but... When it comes down to it, I don't, at this point, see the evidence that this government is going to be any different. I would like to, and hopefully with some degree of pressure from the contemporary arts community here, we can eventually achieve that. For Southeast Asia, I think, yes, I think maybe we just need to be collectively more aware of the patterns of financial patronage which are occurring and not necessarily to be rejecting those but just to kind of strategically negotiate our way through them and make sure that we that artists in the, in our Southeast Asian community we're working with the people we want to work with rather than just the people who we have money to work with and maybe that's kind of impossible given the current funding situation but I think we should just be a little more aware of it. All right. 
Well, thank you very much for this time. Um, I'm, I'm very happy to meet you in, uh, in person and to listen um, to, to the things that you've been doing um, through your residency or through your um, capacity as um, the president of My Dance Alliance. Um, and you know, thank you. Thank you for sharing um, your thoughts. You're with very us. welcome. Thank you for this opportunity.